values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks again. Appreciate you spending some time with us. Again, that's my buddy Mac Powell, uh, lead singer of the band Third Day with some of his solo stuff. River of Life, great song if you want to check him out on Spotify. He's a great listen. Um, does a lot of Christian stuff, but a lot of also um, uh, Christian music, but also country music as well. So that's my big push for Mac Powell. Um, the Arizona economy, how are we going to fare moving forward? There are a lot of indicators out there, and I am not a doomsdayer. I, I, have, I am someone that believes, as, as maybe as sappy as this sounds, I believe in America. I always believe in our country. I think we're hardworking. I think we are entrepreneurial. I think we are um, smart. Um, and I, I always believe that we will come through a crisis. But that doesn't mean that we aren't going to face some hard times in a crisis. There are some indicators out there that are not good for the economy. We've lost more wealth in 2022, second biggest drop in a very, very long time. So we are seeing people nervous about what's to come in the new year. Are we going to see a recession? If the answer is yes, and most people are saying that, how severe will it be? One of the big effects of these interest rate hikes is eventually it affects credit card debt. Well, there are so many people now running up credit cards. Credit card debt's highest it's been in a long time. In a long time, savings is down to a 17-year low. When you hear those things match together, it's already bad news. But if credit card interest rates are climbing, on top of people using them more, they're paying a higher interest rate, that is a scary thing for families. When we look at how it affects the housing market, because eventually it does affect mortgage rates. You know, Here in Arizona, we're a little bit insulated because we have a shortage of housing. But when you couple the high price of housing in Arizona, whether it's buying or renting, you put that side by side with inflation that we have here when on the necessities, it is tough for a lot of families in Arizona. That's a bad place to be. So I talked with Danny Seiden this morning, and Danny's just a wealth of information. He's really a, a, a terrific guy. And um, I always like going to people that I think have their their fingers on the pulse of any topic we want to talk about. And there's no one that's more involved in the economy of Arizona than the Arizona Chamber of Commerce and Industry and uh, working very closely with the diversification we've uh, we've seen. So I asked him uh, about where Arizona, how are we positioned to handle the recession versus the rest of the country? We're in a great position. You know, it's, it seems contradictory to say that when you're looking at a nationwide potential recession. However, if you go back 10 years where we were a construction-based and, um, re, you know, residential home construction-based economy to where we are now, we're a tech manufacturing economy. It, we are so diverse. We are positioned to come through this much, much better than we were 10 years ago. And there are still a lot of jobs to go around. Unemployment is still really low. And these are high-paying jobs as well. So we feel really good about Arizona's ability to withstand a recession as opposed to other states. You know, it's interesting because we talk about retention um, and I'm going to use one of my dumb sports analogies here, but when it comes to the sports world, ASU hires a new coach, brings a coach in from Oregon, is now going to come here. Arizona ties, obviously, and where the hope is that he will be able to recruit and keep those blue chip athletes here in the state of Arizona. Same with U of A, maybe in NAU, but when you look at, at this Brock Purdy, you look at this kid that quarterbacked the 49ers to a victory yesterday, scored 35 points against the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. This kid went to Perry High School here in Arizona. 
Arizona. Why does a blue chip athlete, why are blue chip athletes looking to go outside of the state of Arizona? But it's the same thing in the business world. Your kids, my kids, our grandkids, they're educated in our schools. They're going to go to our universities. They're going to learn a skill and then they're going to want to go out there and they're going to, some are going to be entrepreneurs, but they're going to want to be on the cutting edge of the next generation of financial and economic success. Why was it in the past, you know, that kids in Arizona, the very talented, the very high skilled kids in Arizona were looking to leave Arizona as quickly as they could. Now we have an opportunity to set them up that when after they go through this public or private school system, once they're educated K through 12 and they go to ASU or they go to U of A or they go to um, NAU or look at GCU is an amazing place. Arizona Christian University. I could go down a list of schools that are that are churning out well qualified young people that are ready for the workforce. And Arizona is going to be prepared to give them high paying, high skilled jobs. That is, to me, one of the biggest assets in the next 20, 30, 40 years for an individual that says, listen, I own my house or I'm making payments on it, but you have a mortgage on a house and I'd like to retire in 10 or 20 years. I bought a house as an investment. The value of that's going to skyrocket the next 10 or 15 years. I'm going to be able to retire. That's all good news for you. But when we think about our kids and our grandkids that have their entire lives in front of them. How are they how are they going to stay in Arizona if they choose to? How are they going to stay here and excel? So we went into the housing conversation. How do we how do we fix the housing crisis? What do we need to do to get over the hump in housing? And we need to build more homes and we need to think outside of just building single family homes. We need to build multifamily housing, multi-use housing to address the fact that our state is maturing, that we are becoming more and more modern and more and more urban. So I think there's a lot of different housing uh, models we need to look at to uh, address the fact that you and I are talking in the largest, the fastest growing county in the country right now. All of that really matters. But you're, you're correct. Housing is, a, is an issue, but one that I think we're going to rise and meet that challenge. And there's a lot that goes into this because I, I, we've talked about this quite a bit. But the idea, like for me and my my life experience is when a project comes out, I get a set of blueprints from a general contractor. General contractors uh, will put out blueprints to all their subcontractors. Mine was electrical contracting, MP&E, um, mechanical, plumbing, and electrical. I would do the electrical bid. They would probably take three bids from subcontractors. If you're the good number, you get the job with them. If they get the job and then you get on the job site and you go to work. But there is so much work that goes ahead of that. There is so much work that goes into getting something approved with the zoning and then getting the blueprints approved through the cities and the counties. There is a legal process that is expensive and takes a lot of time. Now, nobody wants to, to uh, compromise quality. No one wants to compromise any of those things for success, but there is a way to expedite. Phoenix did it years ago with the way they handle things inside the city and getting plans out, having an ombudsman and making sure that um, if you're going to build a project, it gets done. And I want to I've done this before. But for anybody out there that doesn't understand um, in the field, the electrical inspectors and I can only speak for my trade, but I know from experience with other guys and other trades, it was for them as well. The inspectors on job sites in Phoenix, especially when the economy is roaring, they're looking to get things done right, but they want to keep moving. 
So I'll give you an example in the field. If you have an inspection, they have an inspection called a walls inspection. So for me, anything that's going to be inside the walls before the drywall is able to be hung so that you can't see what's behind the walls, you have a walls inspection to make sure that the electrical equipment is installed properly in the walls. Conduit strap down all the other things that are necessary for a legal installation and they will come in and do a walls inspection or a ceiling inspection before ceiling tiles go in and they want to make sure it's done right. If they find an issue, usually, usually the inspector will write it down on the plans in red ink and say, hey, I'm going to come back and make sure you fix this, but keep working so it doesn't stop the job site even for a day or two before you get another inspection. That's how you keep work moving, but you still get it done right. The same thing can be done behind the scenes. Less, you know, less work with lawyers and more work where it needs to be on job sites to expedite some of these programs and these projects to make sure they get built. And in some towns, everything is, yeah, that's a great idea, but not in my backyard. I don't want that project here. We don't want apartments here. We don't want this. We're going to have to give up some of that. We're going to have to build to accommodate the people that are coming. It doesn't mean we give up quality, but it does mean we compromise. And I hope it does. it's done quickly. I hope it's done quickly. Coming up in a moment, we do something called Did You Hear This? It's where we catch you up on the big headlines and the big news stories of the day. It happens next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Been a busy, busy weekend. Let's get you caught up on the headlines. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. Senator Bernie Sanders had some strong words for Senator Sinema after she announced she is leaving the Democratic Party. She is a corporate Democrat who has, in fact, along with Senator Manchin, sabotaged enormously important legislation. What do you think of his statement? I just think you got to consider the source. He is a self-affirmed socialist. He's an independent himself because he is too far left to stay in the Democratic Party. So he does. He caucuses with the Democrats. He runs for president as a Democrat, but he is a, an independent because he's a socialist. Now, that's I'm not even casting an insult. I'm just doing that as an observation. So, of course, he's going to say she's a corporate Democrat because she doesn't go along with the far left ideas that he has that would be crushing to businesses. So I don't I don't necessarily I'm not surprised by what he said. I just think you got to consider the source. President and CEO of the Arizona Chamber of Commerce, Danny Seiden, explains how Arizona has improved its economy. Got here by good policy being passed to the legislature and signed by Governor Doug Ducey. And I think Governor like Hobbs has shown a strong commitment to wanting to see that momentum keep going. So one, we have to protect our gains and protect the competitive environment that we've created here. We have to continue to invest in our universities. Do you feel confident that Governor-elect Hobbs will continue to keep business-friendly policies? Yeah, you know, I'm not as confident that she, why I'm certainly not confident that she's going to handle it the way that Governor Ducey did, I think there are going to be some pretty big changes because of their political differences on taxation. But I do know this, that a law was recently passed that makes it much harder. You've got a much higher threshold of votes in the House and the Senate in order to get a piece of legislation passed that raises taxes. I think that bodes well for everyone. There will be a reprioritization of how we spend money in Arizona to a certain degree because she has different political beliefs. To what degree that happens, I don't know. But if if Danny Seiden says he's encouraged by what she saying that she wants to see this momentum continue. Hopefully she'll take advice from people like Danny Seiden and we'll have a policies and, and implemented that will help foster all those things. 
You're listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to catch you up on the big headlines. Former GOP candidate Carrie Lake filed a lawsuit on Friday challenging the loss in the gubernatorial race. Lake's people argue there were printing problems on Election Day because the printing issue was intermittent and other voting options were presented on site. Maricopa County officials say no one was prevented from voting. What do you think will come out of this? I, you know, to be honest, I don't know exactly what's going to come out with this, but I, I'm glad that this is getting in the court system. I have a feeling that whatever the answers are that the courts give, it's going to be appealed very quickly up to the Supreme Court, and I think it should. I want to get the answers on the table for voters in Arizona to have a look at what happened, and we can decide for ourselves how secure our electoral system is here, and we can move on to 2024. This is how the system is supposed to work. So I'm glad the lawsuits are happening because I want to get answers as quickly as possible, put a period at the end of this, and move on to 2024, no matter what the outcome is. Congress is facing a looming, a looming Friday deadline to pass a spending bill before government funding runs out. Republicans and Democrats are jousting over the details of a roughly $1.5 trillion funding bill in the final weeks Democrats control both chambers of Congress. Over the weekend, lawmakers made progress towards an omnibus spending bill that would fund the government through September 30th of next year. Do you think they will come to an agreement to avoid a shutdown? They always do, or they most of the time they do, and especially since it's still under Democrat control, I do think that something's going to get done with continuing resolution, this omnibus bill. But we've got to get back to fiscal responsibility. And they keep saying that we have it, but we don't. We know that everybody's overspending. This is a criticism of both political parties. This is both Republicans and Democrats are spending, spending, spending. No one is told no. We create more debt. We kick the can down the road and nothing ever gets solved. And hopefully, hopefully at some point we get to a point where we know it's got to change and that happens sooner rather than later. Great job, Julia. We'll do it again tomorrow on the show, as we always do at 1120, to get you caught up on the headlines. It's interesting to talk about the economy here in Arizona because I think it is such a – it's such a – if I were someone uh, that was running for office or if I were an elected official that was a Republican and believed in the small government plan that works, I would be using – even if it was not in the state of Arizona, I would be pointing to Arizona because places like Texas have no state income tax. Nevada doesn't. Neither does Florida. Florida. But Arizona has actually been making dramatic changes in that direction. Now, it's a very low flat tax as opposed to a no state income tax, which was the direction that people wanted to go. I don't know. It's certainly not going to happen under uh, Governor Hobbs. But when you look at the economy in the state of Arizona and you see how well positioned it is and how diverse it is and you get a $40 billion investment from a corporation in Arizona in addition to the $20 billion expansion I believe that's happening with Intel. And listen, I don't want to ever discount or dismiss Intel and they've been here for decades, decades in the Valley making chips here and they have been such a huge part of Arizona's economy and I believe they're going to continue to be that. When you've got that kind of investment in that industry, you have to look at why, and part of the why has to be being business-friendly, and I hope that that continues in Arizona. In a moment, the school choice movement picking up steam across the country. We're going to talk about Arizona schools and some good news in the East Valley for kids are improving. We'll talk about it next. Strong Valley.
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, some good news in the schools in Arizona. Higley schools are higher in state grades than other East Valley districts. Higley Unified School District outperform its two counterparts. Uh, also serve students in Gilbert, according to the latest letter grades handed out by the state. So they were uh, the only district that didn't have a C or a D school grade. At all. They were all A and B schools in Higley. Chandler Area School District charter schools scored very well in letter grades handed out by the state. Of the more than 1,700 public districts and charter schools across Arizona that received preliminary grades, about 27% were given A's, 42% got B's, 23% had C's. And then 5% D and 2% failed. Most parents in Chandler are sending their kids to either A or B schools. These are important designations. I've talked about school choice. As a matter of fact, one of the big stories, that's uh, this is from a national publication, or I should say website, Daily Caller, that says school choice movement is gaining momentum as states focus on legislation that would give families greater freedom to select their children's education. Everything changes. Everything changes. Technology drives changes everywhere. And the education system in America has not changed with it. We are still doing things the old way. The technological changes in the classroom have been laptops or iPads or whatever, tablets, as opposed to textbooks in some in some cases. But it hasn't changed dramatically, I don't, I don't believe. And so the curriculum needs to change as parents are learning more and more about what kids are learning. But the argument that we continue to have about the value of curriculum, um, critical race theory, we've all heard that saying. Does anybody out there even know what critical race theory is? So instead of arguing about the value of a, of a curriculum like critical race theory or social emotional learning, SEL, instead of arguing about whether or not they're valuable, how about prioritizing? Because I will tell you in Arizona, the biggest complaint from the teacher organizations, um, whether it's uh, AEA or AEU here in Arizona, is lack of funding, that we don't have enough funding in Arizona. But when you start asking the questions of the districts and how they are spending that money – that's where you start learning lessons because if parents were to look and it's hard, you know, when you get unless you're an accountant, it's hard to read some of the things that are submitted. How much are school districts spending of the limited amount of funding that they have? What are they spending and are they prioritizing it? That's the big thing. There are some curriculums that are absolutely free to school districts if they want to use them. Or are they paying big money for these others? And that's a great question for people to ask. And then it's about time. How much time and money are you spending training teachers in all of this? For the teachers then to be required to teach these things in the classroom, sometimes outside of the purview of the subject matter that they are trained to teach. How much of the classroom time do a lot of these things take up? And then you measure that against the fact that children are not reading at grade level at third grade and they're not performing math skills at grade level at eighth grade. And so then the question becomes, are you prioritizing properly? And when parents started asking those questions, they were called domestic terrorists and a lot of other things were happening, which has caused kind of an uprising. It's kind of a revolution to school boards, parents running for school districts because they're not going to tolerate it. You will make some someone an activist. I mean, you will turn someone from a concerned parent into an activist when they believe you're doing something negative for their child and they're not getting answers when they start asking questions. Parents will not sit down. There's a lot of things that parents will say, I don't I think that's horrible, but I don't have time for that. 
not when it comes to their children. Here's another area I think is necessary for us to look at. I think our education system as a whole would look so much better in Arizona if we were able to help children decide early in their high school years which direction they were going to take. Now, nothing is set in stone, but are you going to go an avenue of higher education in college? If so, let's get you prepped for that. And that's what counselors are supposed to do. But what counselors are doing now is everything is geared toward getting financial aid, getting loans, getting grants, college, 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 college. Nothing wrong with college. But we all know that there are some people that are not made out for college, at least not right out of high school. There are some because of financial circumstances. There are some just because of the person that they are, that they want to go into the workforce. That's where the CTEDs, the the career uh, technical education districts come in, the Westmex and the EVITs, and where we get kids at a much younger age focused on which direction are you heading. Because if you're going to head to college, these are the areas you need to be working on right now so that you get accepted and you get the financial aid and you get the things you want. But if you're going to go into the workforce, you know, my my dad is a is a general contractor. My mom is a general contractor. We own a general contracting company or we're electrical contractors or I want to be a paramedic or I want to be a nurse where they have programs where these kids can go and get workforce experience and get training at the high school level so that when they get out of high school, they're already a couple of years ahead in the process and they're straight into the workforce making good money and on their way to their careers. New law was just passed allowing these CTEDs to uh, afford adult education and AA or associate's degrees to the adult education students. So imagine a high school student who has already got two years in a CTED in EVIT, let's say. They're going for two years in coursework in that direction. They graduated 18 years old. They're in the workforce. Let's say they're working in one of the trades and they say, you know what? I would love to get my associate's degree and move forward and be in project management, even have my own company one day. And right there on that EVIT campus at night, after they become adults, after they're in the workforce, they're back in school in a familiar environment where they're thriving. And they now are using the other classroom things they learned and going on to high Higher education. This is all being made available, but if we don't focus, and I mean really focus as adults, understanding that there are some kids that are not going to go on to the college classroom, now, at least not right away. I mean, I'm a classic example of that. And I think that's why I'm, I talk about it so much is – I, I, you don't know what you don't know. I knew everything when I was 18. I knew everything when I was 16. But I mean, I knew everything when I was 18. Didn't have a care in the world, 10 feet tall and bulletproof, going to live forever. Nothing's ever going to end. And I just wanted to sprint into adulthood. I just wanted to work. I didn't care about education. I didn't care about education at all. I just wanted to work. Fortunately, I fell into a trade. It was it was just it was uh, it was divine intervention that I got into the, the electrical field. I loved it. I wanted to learn everything about it. And I had the basic skills in education to learn it. And I did very quickly. I caught on quickly. I learned very quickly and I succeeded very early. 
And then when I morphed into this career, the reading and the comprehension that's necessary to do what I do now never would have been possible if I didn't have those basic skills. But I didn't care about education until much later in life. Some of the people, if they know it in high school, they're going to college. Some of them learn it in their mid-20s or later on when they have kids and realize to give their children a better life, they need a degree. And there are some people that don't do it until they're older like I am. But if we don't prepare them for a skill set to be able to do any of the above, we're failing. And I just think we have to get this right. This is the one area that we cannot get wrong. And hopefully Arizona is moving in that direction with school choice and competition that's coming. And then if we hone in on these kids and we make sure that they're on the pathway that they're best equipped for and they're moving forward so that when they hit 18 years old and they're ready to move into the workforce or ready to go on to higher education, we've prepared them better than we have already. That's the goal. In a moment, we talk about our governor because he's in trouble. He is uh, dumping, illegal dumping. We'll talk about that accusation coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time on this. Um, and we're going to talk about the border. Governor Ducey has been accused of illegal dumping. This is interesting. The sheriff of Santa Cruz County, David Hathaway, is one of the very rare border sheriffs that believes that there is no crisis at the southern border. He has said as much here. Now, if you talk to Yuma County, if you talk to any of the other any of the other border counties from here to Texas, um, you're going to get agreement by almost every sheriff that there is a huge problem at the southern border. Now, what they blame it on may differ to a certain degree. What solutions would be valuable, they may disagree upon. But you rarely are you going to find a border sheriff that believes there is no crisis. But the Santa Cruz County Sheriff David Hathaway believes there is no crisis. Put that next to the story that there were 2,500 people in a 24-hour period that crossed the border in Texas. Everybody knows there's a problem. But what's interesting is now this sheriff and what he wants to do on Fox 10 Phoenix Sunday. The Santa Cruz sheriff said he will take action against construction crews operating just a few miles from the county if they cross into his jurisdiction. Um, he said the area where they're placing the containers is entirely on federal land, on natural national forest land. It's not state land. It's not private land. And the federal government has said that this is illegal activity. So just the way if I saw somebody doing an assault or a homicide or a vehicle theft on public land within my county, I would charge that person with a crime. Really? Um, so I guess then you're all in on enforcing immigration laws as well. When you see people coming into the country illegally, are you having your deputies round them up and turn them over to the federal government? It's a fair question. Um, the sheriff has great leeway in how, what, it, what laws and how they enforce them. And I think the taxpayers of Santa Cruz County should have a say in what happens the next time that that sheriff is running for office. Because anybody that says there's no crisis at the border is full of it politically. That that is nothing more than a purely political statement. There is absolutely no basis in fact in that statement. And I'm someone that is as pro-immigration as you're ever going to find. The Cuban people are still coming. I talked about the uh, about our relationship with Cuba, our government's naturalizing or restoring in, uh, relations with the government of Cuba, believing that it's going to bring in Americanism. Americanism is all over Cuba. Let me explain to you. That's a small island. It's a beautiful island. And just about everybody on the island of Cuba has relatives in the U.S., 
Almost every one of them, if not every one of them, has relatives in the U.S. that tell them great stories of the change in their lives when they come to the U.S., there's a reason why when given an opportunity in the 1970s to leave that island, so many thousands and thousands of people climbed on to fishing boats and made their way to the port of Miami or Key West. They were called Mariolitos, and they um, are Americans, and they send money, and they send letters, and they send pictures and videos to their family members back home. So they are very aware on the island of Cuba what Americanism is like. Um, the restoration of relationships with that government was a slap in the face to the Cuban people because they are still oppressed by a communist government. And it's one of the reasons why they're still trying to come here. We should be making room for people that want a better life in a country where they're not living under socialism or communism. We should always be providing that. We had a, almost a million people become naturalized citizens in this country last year. And we should celebrate that. And instead of us celebrating what our country has accomplished and the involvement of the entire world in Americanism and still being that shining city on the hill, what we are doing instead – what we are doing instead is we are looking at the bad that's happening because you can't take your eyes off the crisis. That to me is the biggest shame of it all, that we are overshadowing legal immigration and real migrants with illegal immigration and calling everybody a migrant. We shouldn't be doing that, and we certainly shouldn't be threatening our own people for trying to stem the tide. Just about out of time. As a matter of fact, so what we're going to do uh, is we'll be back tomorrow morning starting at 8 o'clock. If you're a social media user, at Broomhead KTAR is where you can find me um, on Twitter. Uh, Mike Broomhead, all one word on Instagram. You can find me there. Follow me between shows. I would love to keep in touch. We'll be back tomorrow morning starting at just about 8 o'clock. So have a great day, everyone. I'll be back tomorrow morning, and God bless.